Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about what, I don't know, maybe the most uh, infamous movie that's come out this year, maybe. Uh, Of course, it didn't get to the theaters because of everything that's going on right now, but I think Josh Trank's Capone, starring Tom Hardy, was planned for a theatrical release and is out now on VOD. And it is uh, it is something. Let's put it that way. I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I mean, I had seen the trailer. I think everybody watched the trailer because, you know, Tom Hardy playing Al Capone. How could you not be at least a little bit interested in that? Uh, but I still didn't really know what to expect based on the just the weirdness of it and just the behind-the-scenes stories that were going around with this movie and with Josh Trank's career and everything so it was uh it was something I really just didn't know what to expect going in and I kind of liked the movie I think I liked the movie even more after talking about it with our guest today Michael Keane um we get into a really long great conversation lots of puzzle pieces there's a lot to unpack with this movie and uh yeah so it's a great one I'm looking forward to this conversation to sharing it with you all before we get into it though I do want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to piecing it together on your podcast app of choice and of course you can rate and review us over on apple podcast or Podchaser. you could also follow us on social media at piecing podcast and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of Fantastic Four fans in that group, as well as Chronicle fans and Josh Trank and General fans and Capone fans. And just there's always all kinds of crazy conversations happening in that group around all the movies that we talk about here on the show and everything else happening in Hollywood and the world of movies. So if you like movies, you should join the group and talk about them with us. So, uh, I think let's get into this one. Like I said, it's it's a long one, but there's a lot of great puzzle pieces. So enjoy this conversation about Capone. All right, so joining me today for what should be a fun one is Michael Keane. Michael, how's it going, man? Oh, well, I, I just rewatched a good chunk of Capone for this uh, very special episode of your program. And uh, I got to say, uh, everything's looking up. I- it's doing good. I feel like that's a great way to, to start any day, isn't it? Is is watching this movie. Hells to the yeah. <laughs> Although I feel like your viewer, your your listeners are going to be a little upset because I, I I get the feeling that there's not going to be a lot of conflict mm. uh, within this uh, particular episode. I don't know. I it's it's kind of be a little all over the place. I mean, I know I'm sitting here. I've got my notes up in front of me, and my notes are kind of a mess. But you know, this movie is very 
weird. It's it's intentionally off putting, and it 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 had. I, there's going to be a lot to talk about coming from a lot of different angles. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, before we get into some puzzle pieces, you actually contacted me and said, "Hey, if you want to do an episode on Capone, I'm down." And so. I, I'm just curious, like, what was your initial, like, thought when you saw this thing? Was this something you had been, like, really looking forward to, or did it kind of catch you off guard? What what made you excited to talk about it? Um, I wasn't really, like, I had seen something about it before, um, about Josh Trank doing a Capone movie, and I hadn't really thought too much about it, because I don't, I, I, I like gangster movies, but they're not something that I'm, like, actively looking forward to mm-hmm. often. It's usually not until they come out that I'm actually getting really high on the same you know, way it has to be based. Yeah. So I didn't get too intrigued. And then I saw that really shitty trailer that he put out. <laughs> um, and I mean the trailer itself, like the content was fine, but you know, he did that thing where he posted on his Twitter mm-hmm. and all the uh, YouTube channels were like taking that and putting it up. And it was just this, like this awful 480, just gross looking trailer yeah. that made everything look awful which I think was probably a misstep. I think, I don't know what it is about Josh Trank making missteps on Twitter, but he is really good at it. And as much as I like the guy, he really needs to just delete his account because he's not, he's not good at Twitter. Um, But uh, so I saw that and I was able to look past the 480 ugliness and I saw that it wasn't really a standard gangster picture. Mm -hmm. It was, I, I had missed the, the memo that it was about the last year of Capone's life. And that's something I really don't know that much about. You know, I've seen Capone uh, in in so many movies. Uh, he's a very prominent aspect of one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, there's there's a lot about Capone that I've seen, but I've never really seen anything about his last year. You know, the most I've ever seen is him uh, heading to Alcatraz, and then after that, it's just a mystery to right. me. Um, so that was intriguing. And then, of course, you have Tom Hardy in this like ghoul makeup <laughs> uh just mumbling and slowly dying and shitting himself and i was just like this is this looks really good and then the first reviews came out where there it was something like and there was a lot of snark of course because sure. that's how you you know sell uh headlines uh and it was like if you you know i i don't know who was asking for two hours of tom hardy shitting himself but here we are yeah. and my i was like that's what I want in a movie. <laughs> uh, so I, I was pretty hyped going in, certainly, but it was a very sudden hype. It was uh, last minute hype. Keep, keep your Mad uh, Max sequel. Give me Tom Hardy just mumbling and screaming and chomping on cigars. That's what I want. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I haven't bought any other releases during this whole. Um, on-demand renaissance with the pandemic mm-hmm. uh i i don't i just don't have that much spare income because i spend so much money i mean on like adult things but also <laughs> um I, I buy so many blu-rays uh for my collection and to review on my channel that i really don't have the money to spend twenty dollars you know on something that i can only watch on amazon or whatever right. um so uh that's you know so this is you know, I haven't watched uh, The Invisible Man yet because I, I didn't get to see it in theaters. Mm. Uh, I haven't watched Trolls World Tour, although I'm sure it's a masterpiece. Totally. Uh, but uh, so this is my first big release of 2020 since, um, I guess, Birds of Prey. Yeah, right. Uh, and I got to say, best movie of the year, All... Capone. Wow. Okay. 
Well, uh, that that is going to be an interesting place to jump into some puzzle pieces to to know that you are that uh, that big on the movie. I'm excited to talk about it now. So let's get into some puzzle pieces. What do you got for your first one? All right. So um, actually, I want to start with uh, some like some straight facts that I, I wouldn't count this as a puzzle piece. Okay. Uh, unless you this, I mean, you're you're the you're the puzzle master here. So I, <laughs> let me you can decide. Um, but I just want to start with some straight facts. Anyone who compares Capone directly to Gotti as a means of putting down Josh Trank's work mm -hmm. is a fucking idiot. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't know if you want to count Gotti as a puzzle piece. Sort of uh, like an anti-puzzle piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an anti-puzzle piece because I see, I've seen a lot of that where it's, you know, and it, it makes sense. I mean, I think, was it, was Redbox the one that put out Gotti? I think so. Um, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So. And of course, it has the same shitty generic title. I think that Fonzo is a much better title for this film. Mm. Um, but they changed it to, Cap to Capone, um, presumably because they wanted to sell more, which I think is, it's one of those studio things that always like, no, you're wrong, guys, you're, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, and they, they never get the memo. Uh, but Gotti is like basically the antithesis of Capone. It is... A film that is extremely generic. Uh, it, it does. It is humorous. Uh, that is one thing that they have in common. Is both are humorous, although I think for different reasons. Mm. Uh, both are cringy again for different reasons. <laughs> uh, but Gotti presents itself as a fairly straightforward kind of, uh, I guess, go like Goodfellas riff almost. Mm -hmm. Um, where it's just this, I'm, I'm a gangster and I'm going to talk about my life leading up to my, uh, inevitable death. Yeah. Uh, and that's about it. Whereas Capone, I don't, I'm sure there's other biopics like Capone. I'm just not like thinking of them right off the top of my head. Um, but I can't remember the last time I watched a biopic that really didn't go into the life of its character at all right. beyond his anxieties um because really you could replace al capone with any um rich asshole succumbing to a mental disorder sure and it doesn't change that much like it, it really isn't about al capone it's about a guy dealing with his inner demons while also uh, having a severe case of neurosyphilis. Yeah, I, I have a feeling, and I haven't watched any interviews with Josh Trank or anything, but he must have had somebody in his family that dealt with this kind of thing to to want to tell this story. I mean, he wrote this, directed it, and it's like, you know, why exactly, you know? Yeah, I, 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 had, I had the same, same thought process, yeah. I mean, he's so in deep with this one, uh, and of course it's his big, like... In, in theory, triumphant return. Mm -hmm. um, it's him making up for all the mistakes he has either made or has been perceived to have ha uh, made. And uh, yeah, I, so that's, yeah, I, <laughs> this is all a long way for me, a long way to go for me to say uh, I don't like critics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, I think starting off with Gotti is uh, appropriate as a, an anti puzzle piece. And yeah, I, I you see a lot of critics are comparing it there, and I think you're completely right. It's not an appropriate uh, comparison. I would actually say my first puzzle piece, which I'll jump into, is a better version of that, which would be the Johnny Depp movie Black Mass when he uh, played Whitey Bulger, which 
was um I I would put somewhere between uh Capone and Gotti as far as how successful of a movie it is. Uh but it's still the the idea of taking this big kind of larger than life uh movie star actor and putting you know, just putting them through this huge transformation that is really kind of, at least on the surface, the selling point of the movie. Just you put that that face right there on the poster and it's like, oh, okay, so uh, this guy who I've seen in a million things is doing this. Okay, I guess I kind of got to see this. And so that's why uh, the the thought of Black Mass as a movie itself, kind of a little forgettable, but that, that performance from Johnny Depp, definitely one of the more memorable of his, you know, last decade or so of performances. And I think this kind of, uh, I think it's almost like the better version of what they did with Gotti. Yeah. And I, I think also, I mean, there's also the, uh, the sort of ghoulish makeup. I think, uh, I mean, less, less so with Johnny Depp, but I think that, uh, if I remember correctly, in that film, he has a very um, less than it's o- it's off putting. That's for sure. I actually rewatched the trailer this morning, and I was like, "Oh yeah!" Like especially around the eyes, it was almost like Uncanny Valley. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. I I actually have I have a very large list of movies of puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, no other gangster movies on my list. Beautiful. That, that'll work out well. I, I only have one more gangster movie on my list, but uh, why don't we go to your next piece? All right, so um, I'm going to do that thing that I, I seem to always do, which is mention a couple pieces to get to my, my, my main piece. Do it. Uh, so I've never actually... I, I realized um, that I haven't actually watched a lot of movies about dementia or mental decline, mm-hmm. um, just because I, I, was, I was trying to think. I was like racking my brain. And so I did a little Google search, and... I've never seen Still Alice starring Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. uh, which is about dementia. Uh, and I've never seen The Taking of Deborah Logan, which makes me the worst horror fan alive, I know. Um, <laughs> but I know that that one is about dementia through the like concepts of a, a, a ghost or demonic storyline. Mm. Um, so I haven't seen those. But there is a film that had a very big effect on me as a child. And it's one that I don't think a lot of kids had in their in their repertoire um and that's on golden pond Mm -hmm. uh i i watched the shit out of this vhs tape when i was a kid it was this and robocop those were the two big ones for me nice um and on golden pond basically it's about a uh it's a family drama and a big chunk of it is this wife who has to come to terms with her husband's mental decline um a husband played by henry fonda and uh you know, it's that. Also, there's a big thing of water by the house. You know, there's the titular golden pond. There you go. Uh, which some might say that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, but I say, Josh Trank, big on golden pond fan. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to put it out there. And, you know, when, when Josh Trank inevitably mentions on Twitter how correct at Michael Keane is <laughs> about his comparison to On Golden Pond, uh, I will be uh, triumphant once again. I'm just saying. I think that that, that scenario may play itself out. I, I certainly hope so. That motherfucker needs to respond to me on Twitter. Like, I've, I've, I have sucked the dick of his movie already, <laughs> and I got nothing. I got nothing. I think On Golden Pond could be a good uh, alternate title for this movie. Yeah. It works, yeah. right? He's on the Golden um, Pond. 
which by the way, highly recommend on Golden Pond. I haven't watched it in over a decade. Actually, probably more than 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, uh, it, it, it's trapped in my memory, and I remember it being a very atmospheric uh, and beautiful film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, tragic, not unlike this film. There you go. And Josh Trank's career. <laughs> well, I will, I guess... Uh... Stay in that that realm there of the uh, the dementia and the declining mental health, and go with a movie that I usually cite as the most depressing movie I've uh, ever seen, and it's something that I was reminded of while watching this movie, which I I did enjoy Capone, but it was also quite the bummer I felt with everything going on with with this character and this movie is uh the 2007 movie The Savages with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney um which also you know deals with these two characters their father is uh you know dealing with dementia and there's also like the added layer of he was never really a good father to begin with and they have to take care of him and it's just it's just so depressing and uh so I I thought there were some parallels there with Capone and with the kind of father he is in this movie and, you know, whether or not he's, uh, you know, been there for his family and whether or not, you know, his gangster lifestyle is, you know, what, what defines him and everything. And, and then also just the, the dementia stuff and just how sad and depressing all that is. And, you know, I don't know, I guess I just, that kind of thing must affect me. I'm realizing as I, you know, as I watched this movie and as I think back to how depressing I always felt uh, The Savages was, even though I know a lot of people did like that movie and some people even called it like a dark comedy and like, it, it, there's funny moments, I guess, but I mean, it was just... Uh, overall such a bummer for me that it's always hard for me to even look at that end of the movie um but yeah have you seen the savages i have not that's another one that i i when i looked when i did my little google search i was like fuck another f- movie that i haven't seen that i should have you could have a nice nice depressing uh triple feature with those movies probably yeah yeah um <laughs> and actually uh just to to bounce off of that my uh, i watched the first time i watched capone uh, was with my wife and uh we both have had uh, have, have kind of dealt with that kind of loss mm-hmm. in our lives, but it's definitely affected her more. Um, and she has a hard time with uh, realistic depictions of cognitive loss mm-hmm. uh, and of, you know, like an older person slowly deteriorating. Uh, and just to show how good this film is at doing that, mm-hmm. uh, she had a hard fucking time with Capone. Um, you know, not as, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as what I imagine like a, a requiem for a dream would be, which is a, a good puzzle piece. I didn't uh, have in my list, but that's a, that's one to add. In sure. There. Um, but, uh, you know, not quite that level of depressing, uh, but considering how fun I think Capone is, yeah. uh, it is remarkable how much it gets right about that, um, kind of tragic thing that a lot of people have to go through. Yeah. And, this this might be a bit of a shots fired statement, but I think that a lot of people who are criticizing it for not being, um, I don't know, smart enough or um, even good enough of any high quality, I don't think they've gone through any real like serious traumas in their life. Mm. Um, you know, that that could be me overstepping a boundary, but it just seems weird to me that anyone who has been affected by that sort of thing, like really affected, would 
like kind of sidestep this film. Sure. Yeah. Not recognize uh, that there is something at play here. What, regardless of how much you like the movie, there is something that's being explored other than, you know, just gangster movie. Exactly. I think, and I think that's, uh, you know, what made me most happy watching Capone was the fact that it, it really isn't a gangster movie. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people saw that and got frustrated and annoyed because it's, it's that, um, like with Drive, that lady who sued the producers of Drive because it wasn't enough like Fast and the Furious. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, as, as much as I love the Fast and Furious franchise, it's like, no, it's deeper and better than Fast and Furious, you, you dumb bitch. <laughs> um, and Capone is, you know, I, I mean, Capone's not better than, say, Goodfellas or, or, or Casino or what have you, but it's better than a lot of gangster movies. And yeah. it's more interesting than a lot of gangster movies. I think that's an absolutely fair uh, statement there. So uh, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, my next one, uh, I actually, this is a little low on my list, but I'm going to skip to it so I can beat you to it. Um, <laughs> I think this one's a little obvious. The Shining. Yes. Um, so it's a tale of a man with uh, severe health issues. Um, on one hand, alcoholism, and on the other, neurosyphilis. Uh, contending with ghosts representative of his own worst issues, all while going crazy in a big house in the middle of nowhere. Uh, of course, then there's the big party where Capone is the guest of honor. Definitely. Uh, uh, and during that sequence, he even confronts a well-dressed version of his younger self, uh, which looks to be a very direct parallel to one Delbert Grady. And... What's the name of Capone's imaginary son who turns out to be just an extension of himself? Tony. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you have like, a bunch of fucking hallways and wandering around and shit like that. But uh, a lot of very, like, direct parallels to The Shining um, that I, I feel like can't be coincidence. Uh, and, and that might just be, I mean, Josh Trank is of the age where The Shining was almost certainly a, a big part of his childhood. Sure. Uh, so I can imagine that even if it wasn't, uh, intended, a lot of those things just kind of subconsciously come out. Yeah. Um, or it could just be that, st that thing with the shining where it, a lot of coincidences, it's the room 237 syndrome where you just, you come up with all kinds of parallels that aren't really there. Yeah, I don't think so. Not in this case. Uh, those parallels are 100% there. and it's Oh, thank God I'm not crazy. Yeah, no, it, it's 100%. All the things you just said were, uh, it was on my list as well, and all those reasons are totally apt. And uh, I'll just throw in there as a, a little mini uh, puzzle piece to, to tie into The Shining, uh, the balloon from It. Uh, <laughs> you also get that oh, yeah. with the kid. Yep. So we got, we got a lot of Stephen King in there. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no. This, great uh, this is a horror story. I mean, that's that's this is a a ghost story masquerading as a gangster film. It is, and I uh, like it's. Oh God, I just I just want to I just want to shock this film stick so hard. <laughs> it's covered in it's a little it's 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 like half erect winky covered in in excrement. I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I'll go on to my next piece. How about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I do have, you know, one more fairly obvious gangster movie to bring up, and that is last year's Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman, which, you know, of course, this is also a, a look at the sad. I, I've used the word depressing before, but a depressing, lonely final year of uh, life of this larger-than-life gangster figure. And uh, that is, you know, exactly the kind of thing that, you know, after many, many years of doing gangster movies, Martin Scorsese was interested in uh, exploring with The Irishman and I think did so amazingly. I, I love that movie. And that's a movie that uh, has opened itself up more and more and more as I get away from it. And I haven't seen it in months, but I find myself liking it more the more I think about it. And I feel like... Uh, there, both of these movies are coming from a similar place of, you know, we've seen the gangster thing over and over and over again through the years. Uh, what happens at the end of all that? What happens to these guys? They're like, they're just such big figures within, uh, you know, popular culture and then in real life. And, uh, you know, how, how did it end for these people? And, you know, the outlook on that is not so good. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of serendipity there. I, uh, I, I read somewhere that, because um, someone, I don't remember which article, it might have been Variety, uh, but they asked Josh Trank about The Irishman, and I guess uh, this was in the can before they finished The Irishman, mm. or at least before it came out. Um, and Josh Trank kind of hit a bit on the similarities and, and, and basically what you said. Um, it, it is, it's interesting how that has kind of, how they popped out at the same time mm. uh these really dark examinations of the the other side of that lifestyle something that i mean scorsese is has looked at before uh but in a far less extreme case sure. um you know i think most of his you know most of his gangster movies they end with well and then i died alone and sad yeah or, or something <laughs> like that or i got buried in a cornfield with my brother or whatever um but yeah, the Irishman is definitely the one where he just takes that on as the primary message of the film. And, uh, you know, I saw, I saw there's some letterboxed review. It was some asshole, um, who said like, you know, it's like the last act of the Irishman for the entire runtime of the Irishman. Right. I think I saw that too. Yeah. Which fuck that guy. <laughs> um, fucking lame. I, I, I cannot, even begin to explain how much I hate quips in uh, <laughs> film journalism. It drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what do you got next for your next piece? Um, let's go with 1961's Last Year at Marion Bad. Um, this is a French experimental film, or I guess avant-garde. I want to say it's just experimental, but um, it's it's very much sort of the um, uh, kind of Antonioni style of uh, or Bresson style of uh, trying to be anti-cinema. Mm. Uh, and it's probably the the weirdest movie I could come up with. Uh, that's one thing about Capone is it's very much bizarro cinema. Sure. It's not really a mainstream film, uh, which I, get all, I, I guess also kind of contributes to the negative response. Uh, but last year at Marion Bad is basically just a bunch of uh, rich people in a big hotel that's it's not totally dissimilar from Capone's Florida estate. Mm. Uh, and they're just like kind of being artsy French people. And this one guy 
is like, yo, Broad, I, I met you once or something. And she's like, no, I don't think so. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure I did. Oh, I'm not so sure. And then they have a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of um, borderline mime bullshit. And um, it's a good movie, I <laughs> should say. It's, it's a good film. Uh, it's not a favorite just because it's, it's a little um, tough to sit through. Mm. Uh, whereas this is extremely entertaining from front to back. Uh, but it's all about that kind of mental prison and, um, you know, it's, it's not a horror film, but it has a very haunting atmosphere that also reminds me of a ghost story. And so that kind of, you know, ghost story plus big house located somewhere, uh, and a bunch of people dressed fairly well while talking bullshit kind of gave me the, the vibes of, uh, last year at Marion bad, um, and I don't really have any, there's not, I can't think of anything really deep mm. to, to correlate between the two beyond that. But, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Josh Trank is, seems like a bit of a, um, film school guy. Sure. If that makes any sense. And I, I could, I could see him pulling last year, Marion bad out of his hat and being like, look at all these references to last year, Marion bad. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I wonder, um, that, that makes me think I've, you know, never seen that movie, but, uh, the way you talk about it, like. It seems like the kind of movie that, uh, you know, is kind of like at odds with its audience maybe a little bit, you know, throughout, which is what I think that yeah, it's, this it's is. Yeah, it's a film that's antagonistic towards its audience, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I, I wonder, you know, this this movie Capone coming out, you know, now, I if, if we hadn't had what's going on and it had gotten a theatrical release, I wonder what their response would have been. I wonder if, if it would have been like way worse than even the the mixed reviews it's gotten i have a feeling it would have been like one of those kind of movies that that's kind of that that's kind of the main story is the walkouts and the you know all that kind of stuff it feels almost like a uh, and i wouldn't count this as a puzzle piece but uh it almost feels like a freddy got fingered yeah <laughs> um where it's like a really smart movie but a lot of people in the mainstream would not possibly understand what makes it smart. Yeah. Um, and not even by any fault of their own intelligence, just it's something that is so out of the mainstream that it's hard to wrap your head around it when you're just going to a movie to see something specific. You know, Freddy Got Fingered, of course, you're looking at a silly comedy. Uh, Capone, you're looking at um, a gangster flick. Mm -hmm. And you then you see the movie and you're like, well, not what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't uh, expect Freddy Got Finger to come up in this conversation, but I'm glad it did. If I can, anytime I can get <laughs> Freddy Got Fingered into a conversation, I will do so. <laughs> uh. So I'll go with my next piece. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's probably more than one David Lynch comparison that could be made throughout this thing. But I thought of the dinner scene in Eraserhead. Um, and just how awkward that dinner is and then how just gross the food is. And it just made me think of the dinner scenes in this movie in Capone. And especially there's that one towards the end where he starts like really staring at the food. And I think it's like a steak that's like bleeding and just, mm -hmm. just how like, just, you know, disgusting it is and how in his mind it's even, you know, worse than it actually is and, and, uh, freaking him out and everything. And so I, I just thought of that moment in Eraserhead. I, I, I love you. That's such a good comparison. I didn't even think about it. That's so good. Yes. hundred percent. Beautiful. God, I really want Josh Trank to do it. It's actually, I, I, the, my, I have like two or three qualms with Capone, not even real criticisms, just qualms. Uh, 
it, I wish it had gone just one step crazier. Yeah, I completely um, agree. That I this movie would be for me, this is like a like a three or three like a three and a half out of five for me. This would have been a solid four if it was a little crazier, I think. Yeah, I, I gave it a four. Mm-hmm. Um and I I I I think part of that is just my general love of the central performance mm-hmm. and the the concept. Uh I God, it would be I, I would be just singing its praises non like I would turn my Twitter account into a Capone Stan account. <laughs> uh, if it just went like right now it's one middle finger up at the audience. If it had been two middle fingers up at the audience mm-hmm. or like two middle fingers in an erection up at the audience, <laughs> that would have fucking done it for me. That would have just like best movie of all time injected into my fucking veins, Mr. <laughs> Trank. Um Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, if it had gone like a little more lynchy uh and you know, like more dream stuff, you know, maybe the that that final dream sequence where he's just massacring people. Yeah. Uh if it had gone just one step further, we would have been in some serious uh glory lands right there. Hell yeah. Um <laughs> So what do you got next? I only got one more by the way. So, oh wow! I okay. Well, I yeah. You here can, I was you thinking can I was keep them coming though. I I'm I'm happy to hear them. So I okay. I'm gonna do give two runner ups to my my Shining moment because I actually had two other films on my list before I came up with The Shining, mm-hmm. um, and those were The Others and The Changeling, and they kind of go hand in hand with The Shining. There are ghost stories. Um, I feel like Capone's dealing with metaphorical ghosts. Uh, more closely resembles The Shining, but I think the lighting of many of the films, more tense scenes, more mm. closely resembles The Others, uh, which is another movie where seemingly real people turn out to be something else entirely. Sure. Uh, looking at you, Matt Dillon. Uh, and then uh, The Changeling, of course, uh, is also a, a haunted house movie about a lonely, tragic figure. Um, and it was the first one that really came to mind just because The Changeling is always the first ghost movie to come to mind. Mm. Um, which I don't know if you've ever seen The Changeling with the amazing George C. Scott, but... Uh, fucking great film yeah i don't think i've ever seen it uh certainly the has a great blu-ray um that i highly recommend um but i would say the something that i i came up with early that i think might be a bit of a stretch was ingmar bergman's wild strawberries um you could also maybe go with a persona uh, that you could you could make a case for persona but Mm -hmm. i think wild strawberries it's it's about a man who is approaching death. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an old motherfucker. And he goes on a road trip and cont- kind of contends with his perceived past mistakes while encountering all these young people. And you get a lot of flashbacks. Um, and it's, you know, it's not a grim movie, but the idea of someone reaching the end of their life and contending with their, their errors that, mm-hmm. that led to where they are now um really struck me and that was you know it it's a it's a tough one again to really make it a, a good argument for but it was the first to come to mind mm. was wild strawberries gotcha yeah and, and i think uh i've never seen wild strawberries but to to speak to those other two i mean absolutely that was kind of the first thing that struck me while watching the movie is that like oh this is actually just a ghost story kind of in you know in the way that it's being set up and the way yeah. the way that it's being structured oh yeah and i think i mean i, I do, when just to go like to go directly to capone again 
When did you realize that Matt Dillon wasn't real? Not until pretty far on. I mean, they kind of, uh, they, they managed to trick me with that for a little while. So I, I didn't realize, so I, I figured it out during the fishing trip, and then I had it kind of affirmed for me during the uh, Wizard of Oz screening. I think that was the part where I was like, with just the framing and using Wizard of Oz, I was like, oh, that, that, motherfu- that motherfucker's fake. I think that was probably where it hit me too, yeah. Um, but upon rewatching it, uh, so there's that, okay, so it, it cuts to the scene of Matt Dillon fucking some broad, and he picks up the phone, he's talking to Capone, and he says, well, be going that way and then it cuts back to capone sitting um next to his radio and on the radio it continues the conversation that they were having and it's it's um you know some gangsta guy in a in a radio show talking mm. about how he needs to go see capone and like capone needs him or whatever to his lady friend and then as soon as that radio program kind of finishes up uh, Matt Dillon appears behind Capone and like, I think like grabs his shoulders or something and starts talking. And I was so mad at myself <laughs> for not realizing on my first viewing, right. As soon as that radio program came on that Matt Dillon was not real. Um, that's interesting. I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, <laughs> that, that does seem like so clear, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they did a great job. Yeah, and that that will lead into my last puzzle piece. But what, what's what's yours? Uh, so I was just gonna talk for a minute about just how crazy we, uh, you know, we've kind of we've kind of talked around it a little bit. But Tom Hardy's central performance in this is, and just the look of it, and the the sound of it, and just everything he's doing, and. In a good way, I was reminded a little bit of Marlon Brando and the Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> and just, I mean, he, he's, yes. he's so, like, gross looking under all that makeup, and he's just so big, and so, uh, just the voice, it's just, what in the world is going on here? And, and I, it doesn't necessarily work in Dr. Moreau, but it works here, and, uh, it, it's interesting to to go that big and reel it into something that kind of works in a way. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that makeup is just unbelievable. That That's the thing that stands out to me the most is that makeup. Yeah, it's great. And you know what? Another crazy thing is I remember when that trailer hit, all these motherfuckers on Twitter were just like, oh, that awful makeup. And also I think mm-hmm. there was a Reddit thread where they were just like shitting on the makeup and... You know, again, that 480 trailer, ugh, but it looks really good in the movie and it makes sense. You know, it's, it's, I, I feel like a lot of people criticize this movie for things that when you watch the goddamn film are part of the film, like it's right. part of the movie. He's uh, not it's doing like, so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's kind not- of fucked. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, I think 49 years old and he has like. I mean, he's basically an 80-year-old man. Yeah, that um, kind of blew my mind when they said his age. I was like, Jesus Christ, he is just falling apart, man. Yeah, and to be fair, he doesn't look much like Capone. It's, a, it's not a resemblance that exists. Mm-hmm. But within the context of the film and what we're presented with, it looks right. Uh, and... You know, uh, uh, continuing on from that, his voice, which, you know, very mumbly, just like Marlon Brando's uh, mm-hmm. performance. 
also within the context of the film. I kind of I, I made a YouTube video about uh, my initial reaction to Capone, where I kind of I dressed up like Capone, <laughs> had a carrot in my mouth, and I went on this bit, bit of a diatribe about the mumbling and everybody complaining about the fucking mumbling. Yeah, because he's fucked up, man. <laughs> what? Like, come on. And he has a fucking cigar in his, or carrot, in his mouth for like 90% of the runtime. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm shocked that it's hard to understand him. And another thing, he's not that hard to understand if you just pay the fuck attention. Yeah. Like, I, I think I might have misheard one or two lines throughout the film. I think that there's this misconception ever since The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. A film in which he is legitimately hard to comprehend. <laughs> um, that it's hard to understand Tom Hardy. Other than that film, I've never had a problem understanding Tom Hardy. Sure, like sometimes he'll have like maybe a really tough Cockney accent. Okay, it is more challenging, sure. But it's not that hard, guys. Like anyone right. who com like legitimately complains. There was actually there was an article uh, when Capone was released by some fucking asshole. Um, who was saying that Tom Hardy like made a career out of not like mumbling and it being hard to understand him. What a base level bullshit way to criticize an actor. Like, yes, his, most of his performances, he has some sort of speech uh, thing. Uh, you know, there's just always some thing about his speech. Pardon him for creating a character every goddamn time. Right. <laughs> uh, he, he, you know, I, I, again, I had no problem understanding him. I don't understand anyone. You're either lazy, uh, or you're just being willfully ignorant, and you want something to bitch about, and you've chosen his his speech. I bet you, um, if you did a Venn diagram of of people who complain about that and people who think Scorsese only makes gangster movies, it would be the exact same people. Oh yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Age of innocence, motherfuckers. <laughs> Age of innocence. <laughs> All right. What do you got for your last piece? Um, so I did also have repulsion on here. I don't, I, I, it's just something I listed as an also ran, but, um, my, my last one is, is two movies that I couldn't decide between, mm -hmm. uh, one, neither of which I'm a huge fan of, but both of which are at very least good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and those are a beautiful mind and shutter Island. Uh, both films that, well, one of which is a Martin Scorsese film, sure. uh, but both films are about a guy who, um, you know, sees the world in a way that is not what it is. Sure. Um, and I think A Beautiful Mind is the most uh, obvious parallel with the whole Matt Dillon character thing. But uh, both films deal, you know, have uh, characters that don't really exist or don't exist as they are perceived. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of Capone. Um, actually, I don't think, I know that's a big part of Capone. We both <laughs> saw the same movie. Uh, I'll co-sign that. Yeah. Uh, between <laughs> Matt Dillon and, uh, and Tony, uh, a lot of stuff that isn't quite right. And by the end of the film, you realize that, oh, that's why it's a little off. By the way, um, was the girl Matt Dillon was having sex with, was she a ghost? I think so. so the way I interpret <laughs> that scene, um, and I'm, I'm working on my big video essay, so we'll okay. see how this uh, evolves during my various viewings of the film. But uh -huh. the way I interpreted it is, um, you know, throughout the film, we see Capone kind of um, envisioning various... Um, uh, I don't, I don't, subjective ways of seeing his past life as a gangster. Mm -hmm. And Matt Dillon's character isn't, as far as I know, based on any real person. It's an amalgamation 
of his previous contacts, these people that he worked with when he was younger. And uh, I think that he also perceives the Matt Dillon character as sort of a version of himself. Uh, just like in the dream sequence, there's the guy that uh, shanks the fuck out of the person in the chair. I think that's just another version of Capone. Uh, you know, he's yeah, just seeing sure. various iterations. And, you know, it used to be he was just fucking broads left and right. You know, he, uh, I think it's, I, I believe in that scene, I could be mistaken, but I believe it's implied that Matt Dillon's character is married or something. Mm -hmm. And this is just some broad on the side. Of course, Al Capone was well known for having extramarital affairs. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was just him kind of uh, perceiving himself in a different fashion. Uh, or it could just be that it was, what was happening in the radio show, although I find that highly unlikely that they would just be like uh, doggy style fucking on a radio <laughs> program at that period in time. Right. Uh, of course, nowadays, radio programs, it's all doggy style fucking. But <laughs> at the time, I don't think that was too common. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just how I interpreted it. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. And, and to the puzzle pieces, absolutely. Th those are, those are both good ones. I was actually thinking about including Shutter Island on my list. I hadn't, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, just the, the, that mind state and, and the way that the character is like putting himself into those situations and, and seeing versions of things that, that aren't necessarily true. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, just continuing that theme that we went back in our first puzzle pieces about that, that crumbling mind. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, we'll go ahead and do the finished puzzle and then get into ooh, some closing ooh, ooh. thoughts. Oh, you got, ooh, wait, one more, one more. You got one more. Okay, so this one, this is kind of another anti-puzzle piece, but I think it's, it's necessary because we wouldn't have this movie um, without one other film. There's one film that directly resulted in Capone happening, and I, on the one hand, am sad about that film, but on the other hand, happy that it gave us this movie and gave us, hopefully, a very special trajectory for Josh Trank's career, <laughs> and that film is Fantastic Four, and it's a piece of shit. And <laughs> uh, it is it is more than responsible for us, rather than getting a Josh Trank Star Wars movie, getting a Josh Trank Capone movie. Um, and I, I feel so I honest I honest to God feel so bad for Josh Trank. I know this right? guy. I he might be a total douchebag. I don't know. A lot of film people are. Um, you know, he could be the douchiest little film brat uh, of all time. I don't know, but. It is so sad that he he was given this opportunity. He had, I would say, too too far reaching of an idea um, for something that should have just been a simple dumb superhero movie. Mm -hmm. And it did not jive. He did not jive with the people he worked with, and it fell apart in, uh, I, I guess, what you would best describe as a spectacular fashion, um, and you know, resulted in almost sort of a blacklisting. Um, yeah. I feel yeah. like. And so I think Fantastic Four belongs there because without it, we just wouldn't have this movie. You know, I actually have never seen his Fantastic Four. Um, I think this is actually my first Josh Trank movie. I didn't see, uh, what really? was it, Chronicle? Is that what Chronicle's very good. Yeah, I actually, that's what I've heard. This is a, a, a um, uh, an opinion that not a lot of people share and I understand why because the guy's a fucking asshole and <laughs> I hope he never works again but I really like Max Landis's writing mm. um, I don't like him as a person necessarily sure. um, I've, I've met him once and he was really nice but 
he seems like a very toxic and awful person. Sure. That said, I have never watched a Max Landis movie that I did not enjoy. Mm. I think that he had a very interesting voice. Uh, his TV show, which I am suddenly like my brain isn't working and I can't remember the name, but his TV show about the holistic detective uh, was really good. And I think the the saddest thing about his downfall beyond the people that he hurt was that that show got canceled. Um, and I think films like um, uh, American Ultra are really good. Oh, yeah, and Chronicle good. is a fucking great movie. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people kind of look past it now because it, it, it got, I would say it got that like too popular thing where mm -hmm. it really should have stayed at a certain level of popularity. Cause at some point you go over the edge and people start finding ways to, you know, hit out at you and, you know, really dig into your flaws, which I hate to break it to you. Every movie has flaws. It, it's a hard thing to accept people, but every <laughs> movie has flaws. Um, but yeah, Chronicle is, is really good. Um, I haven't watched it in years, but, mm -hmm. um, I was, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, of course, Dane DeHaan also in there, a career that did not go as planned. No, not not quite. So before I finish it up, uh, should I see Fantastic Four? Um, that's tough. That's really <laughs> tough. Um, it is not good. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I'll tell you this. I I don't think I've ever actually checked it on Letterboxd because I've never properly watched it. I've watched it. Everything mm. in like all said and done, I've seen the movie but I've never watched it front to back because I can't, it's just not, it's, 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 it's a, it's a type of cringe that I don't particularly like. Um, I, mm. I don't make it a habit of watching movies. I don't enjoy. The only time I really will finish a movie that I actively don't like is I'm either in the theater or I need to review it. Like I just finished watching all the three of uh, the first vice Academy movies. Mm. That was a fucking pain in my ass, <laughs> but I did it because it was for a video. For sure. Um, Fantastic Four is not a good movie. Uh, that said, it has some very interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you wanted to, like, you know, just uh, see, uh, kind of kind of examine what happened to Josh Trank's career, it's a, it's a fascinating examination because there's a lot of really cool ideas. What he did with Dr. Doom, I wouldn't say is good, but it's a very intriguing concept. Uh, there's a lot of body horror to it that I think... I, I'm willing to bet Josh Trank had more of in his original version. Uh, you know, it, I think when he was bar first promoting it and it was first announced, he described it as David Cronenberg, uh, like Cronenberg's version of a superhero movie. Nice. Um, and you kind of get that, but it's definitely hampered. And there's a lot of just just bullshit, and it it does that thing that. Um, Avengers Age of Ultron does at the end where they cut off before they say the the name mm. but does it in the most infuriating <laughs> and annoying fashion that just makes you want to scream at the movie. Oh God. Um so it's it's a tough one. I I can't, I can't say whether or not you should watch mm. it. Um you know, I guess if you're if you want to have a an opinion on every superhero movie, go watch Fantastic 4. Uh but then again, I I'm someone who lists the original Fantastic Four as a movie that I actually enjoy, uh, which is not a popular opinion. <laughs> uh, and I recognize the flaws. I'm not a big Tim Story fan. But there's something about it that I just like. I don't know what it is. I think it's maybe because I saw it in theaters and 
I like dumb things, shockingly. <laughs> um, but I like the original Fantastic Four. I like Rise of the, of the Silver Surfer. I think that's a pretty fun movie. It's dumber than a sack of dildos, but it is... It's pretty fun. Uh, Fantastic Four, uh, a la Josh Trank. Uh, not a very fun movie. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go ahead and do the finished puzzle, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts here. Uh, we kicked it off with an anti-puzzle piece, Gotti, but then we moved into Black Mass, Still Alice, The Taking of Deborah Logan, On Golden Pond, The Savages, also threw in Requiem for a Dream there, uh, The Shining, It... The Irishman, Last Year at Marion Bad, Eraserhead, The Others, The Changeling, Wild Strawberries, The Island of Dr. Moreau, Repulsion, you mentioned real quick, uh, A Beautiful Mind, Shutter Islands, and then wrapped it up with a little bit on Fantastic Four. Uh, so any closing thoughts you have on this one? Uh, if you haven't watched it already, uh, buy it. You know, you might be tempted to rent it. Don't Don't rent it. Buy it. You're going to watch it more than once. I fucking guarantee it. Uh, and ignore all the critics because, well, not all the critics. Some of them liked it. But uh, ignore the <laughs> shitty critics who uh, immediately quip about Capone shitting himself or quip about Josh Trank. If they do that, then they suck. Um, if they have a negative review and they don't start with that, may, you know, maybe they have a good point. I'm not going to say that everybody's going to enjoy this. It is not a mainstream film. It is a bizarre flick. But Tom Hardy puts in a great performance. It is extremely entertaining. I have issues with it. It doesn't go into his son's hearing loss for some reason, even though that should be something that Capone deals with. Mm. Uh, that frustrated me. I found it kind of annoying that they didn't go more into his wife's uh, story because she was one of his great opponents in their life. She was a very savage lady who I think uh, would have made for uh, a better character, although she is um, played very well in the film. Uh, and there are some extraneous things. Anything dealing with the FBI is generally kind of uninteresting and takes away from the overall concept of the film. Mm -hmm. But that all said, once you look past those problems, it is a great movie that is not two middle fingers and an erection, but is a solid singular middle finger to the audience uh, without ever being boring like so many other middle finger movies. So I highly, highly, highly recommend Capone. Love it. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, more, more so of a question for you. Uh, when I think of Capone, I always think of Stephen Graham's performance on Boardwalk Empire. Uh, is, is there another uh, Capone in movie history that, that is like a big one for you that you love? I mean, just the obvious Robert De Niro in Untouchables. Mm -hmm. um, that's like, I mean, I think that's the ultimate uh, as far as mainstream consciousness performance of Capone. Uh, I think Stephen Graham's is definitely uh, my favorite. Yeah. Um, but that also has to do with Boardwalk Empire being a borderline perfect show. Yeah. Um, if you've never watched Boardwalk Empire, uh, listener, watch it. Uh, it has a bit of a, it, it stumbles a bit, I think, in the penultimate season. Uh, and there's like a lot of uh, like they I think they were I don't remember the behind the scenes stories, but I, I think they were like rushing it at the end because it was uh, it only it could only do like one more season. But they had like two or three seasons worth of material. Sure, yeah. And so they kind of they kind of like fast forward a bit. And there's a lot of time skipping, which uh, doesn't serve several characters too well. Um, you know, I feel like, I feel like I, and I could be uh, this is I've never rewatched the entire series. But I feel like Jeffrey Wright's character got a little 
uh, fucked in the end. But um, sounds about right. It's 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 a show that in the end like has a perfect conclusion. Um, it's right up there with Mad Men for me as just being a like that's how you're gonna end the show. Perfect. That's exactly how it should end. That is it's not how I expected, but it is exactly what I I didn't know that I wanted. Right. It's it's so brilliant. Uh, and Stephen Graham's great as Capone. Great show. Also, it's a show that uh, talks about Capone's uh, son's hearing loss and deals with that. So that's it another. Does. Thing. Yeah. Well, right on. I think uh, I think we covered it. Do you have a movie that you watched recently? Another movie that you'd like to recommend? Um, so I just got a a very special set of Blu-rays in. It's the Al Adamson uh, masterpiece collection. And if you don't know who Al Adamson is or was, uh, he was a uh, let's say a cult trash filmmaker. Uh, mostly in the 60s and 70s. And he uh, did not make what you would consider objectively good movies. Uh, they often were eh, not the most well shot. They had very questionable acting choices. He did that really, by most accounts, awful uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein movie with the Dracula who has a goatee and is constantly blinking. Um, and the and the Frankenstein that looks like he's in really bad Tom Hardy ghoul makeup. and. Uh, so he he made some pretty unfortunate films, but they're films that I consider very entertaining. Al, Adams, Al Adamson was very uh, well known for putting all the money on screen. You know, he tried to keep the audience entertained uh, as opposed to a lot of bad B movies of that period that were just like, you know, people talking in the desert or whatever for for what seemed like eons and they never had any right. monster and blah, 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 blah. He had the goods, even if they were kind of low grade goods. And. So um, the Masterpiece Collection is, I believe, 32 movies, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and all but one of them being an Al Adamson movie. Uh, the one exception is uh, a documentary called Blood and Flesh, The Real Life and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson. Uh, this is from the guy who directed, actually, oddly enough, the guy who directed the documentary about the Island of Dr. Moreau uh, kerfuffle um, about how that Richard That is a Stanley, great documentary. It, yeah. Uh, so same guy. Uh, I wouldn't say this is quite as good. I think that that one, uh, it helps that it's a very centered film. You know, it's about one very specific troubled production. Um, and this documentary, uh, the first half goes over Al Adamson's career, which is very extensive. So it can't possibly really talk about everything. Uh, and then the back half talks about his murder, which is a very tragic story. Um, and it was a great documentary, and it it's one of those movies that makes me want to go out and make a movie. Right. Um, it also makes me want to go out and not get murdered. Um, so that's <laughs> that's a plus two. Uh, so and I always I love movies that make me want to go make a movie. I think that's really nice and special. And and you learn a lot about a guy who had a lot of passion. Um, so I highly, highly, highly recommend Blood and Flesh, The Real Life, and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson. And if you're interested, also recommend his movies. I, I just watched The Female Bunch. Um, and if it's any indication of what's to come, I'm going to have a great time with the set. Uh, it's, it's, it's really beautiful stuff. This is from Severin who do great work, of course. Um, yeah, that's my recommendation. I like it. Well, uh, I want to tell people where they can find you and everything you're up to. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Michael Keen. Uh, that's the easiest place to find all my stuff. I have a YouTube channel that's linked there where I talk about mostly Blu-rays, but also movies. I'm going to have a really long video essay about Capone uh, sometime in June. And uh, I also am a filmmaker of my own right. Um, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not exactly a Josh Trank, <laughs> to say the very least. Uh, but I've made some, 
some fun, dumb movies. Uh, some people enjoy Fatal Future. That's my kind of homage to Neil Breen and the kind of so bad it's good aesthetic. Uh, and then I made a far more well-received film, uh, the shot on VHS horror flick, The Head, uh, which is really hard to find on Amazon because they they hide it a little bit because they think it's a little too erotic, which fuck them. Uh, but it is um, available on Amazon and on uh, video Vimeo on demand. Uh, it also should be on Troma on demand at some point relatively soon, but that's not quite that's that's in the middle of being finalized. Um, so I highly recommend you go see the head. It's uh, my uh, current masterpiece, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go go watch that and then uh, listen to our our live episode. If you uh, haven't yeah. gotten around to listening to that episode, everybody listening, um, make sure to watch the movie and go give it a listen. Fuck yeah! All right, Michael. Well, uh, hey, thanks so much for being here again. Uh, it's always great having you on, and uh, I look forward to your your uh, Capone episode when that comes up. Thank you. I, it's always a pleasure. Everyone, no matter how big a geek you are, has movies that they haven't seen that have other geeks saying, how have you never seen this movie? Well, we're here to help. At the Now You've Seen It podcast, we help you fill those gaps in your geek cred one movie at a time. Each episode, a guest who is watching the movie for the first time joins our rotating cast of hosts and panelists to discuss the movie and compare seeing it through fresh eyes versus seeing it with eyes filtered through the lens of nostalgia. You can find Now You've Seen It on Facebook at facebook.com slash now you've seen it, no apostrophe, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I hope you enjoy that conversation about Capone with Michael Keane. I had a great time talking to him about this movie, and I am excited about all the other movies that we've got coming up for you guys. We've got, uh, I've got a whole week of recordings scheduled right now. Uh, a whole lot of episodes that are going to take us through into June. So make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice, and you'll always get those episodes as soon as they come out. We also have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash piecingpod, where as soon as these episodes get recorded, I am posting them early in advance for you all. So, uh, you know, go sign up for the Patreon if you'd like and get those advanced episodes as well as some of the music I've been working on. So uh, you can also follow us over on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn at Puzzle Pieces. And as always, I just want to uh, say thank you so much for everyone who's out there listening. Uh, I have been crazy busy over here working on new music. I've mentioned it a few times over the last uh, couple months since this whole quarantine thing started. And uh, yeah, I, I it's insane the amount that I've been doing. I'm going to have probably my next two or three albums ready to go by the time I get back to regular everyday work. It's, it's, uh, it's been great and crazy, uh, as far as productivity is concerned, let's put it that way. And I am going to close this thing out with a piece of my music as I always do. This is a track that I just finished maybe question mark i'm not sure uh but i it's a track that i started way back in early 2019 and then it's just sat there unfinished and i think i might have finished it last night it's called secret places and i don't know if it'll be on my next album or the album after that or where it's going to come out but uh it's a cool track so enjoy it and we'll be back with more piecing it together coming out real soon